You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, as we begin our series of looking at the history of the church through this incredible book of Acts, I I read this week where um, a man described the book of Acts as this. He said, it's what happens between prayer meetings. (laughs) The book of Acts is what happens. I mean, you just see the people of God praying, and then something happens, and the people of God continue to pray, and then something happens. People of God continue to pray. And through all that the church has gone through from the very beginning until today and until Jesus returns, God is doing some incredible things. The church is advancing. Even in the days that we find ourselves in, the church is advancing. In the culture, in the caustic nature of the culture, the church is advancing. The gospel is being heard and the gospel is being uh, made known to people who have never heard it before. People are coming to faith that hadn't yet until we find ourselves going through what we are going. Let me just let me give you a challenge before I really get into the message. I want to give you a challenge this week because if you are like me, uh, everything that's going on in the news, everything's going on in our culture, you find yourself um, spending maybe more time watching the news or checking up on the news or, or trying to find some news in your social media feed. And, um, and I've always been a firm believer, not trying to be legalistic, but I've always been a firm believer that before anything else happens in the day, that I want to get into God's Word. And, and I, I just want to confess to you, and I want to encourage you, challenge you. The confession is this, that hasn't been the case as of late. Because of what we are going through, everything that's in the news, the, my first thought when I wake up in the morning hasn't been, God, how can I serve you? How can I make your name known and, and honored and glorified? How can I get into your word? The first thought on my mind as of late has been, what happened last night? What news do I need to go watch to find out the latest? My challenge to you is this. Find yourself in God's word before you find yourself in the news of the day. And here's what will happen. Here's what I've experienced as I've gotten back into that habit of doing that, is finding yourself in God's Word before you find yourself in the news of the day makes the news of the day not feel so fearful. Makes the news of the day not feel so caustic and not feel so, uh, so, so worthless gives you a whole new vision. And so I want to encourage you with that. That has nothing to do with the message I just felt led to tell you that. And maybe if you don't take anything else away from the message this morning, you will take that away. And you will be better for it. Acts chapter 11, in this, in this historical account of the church, We find ourselves in a very interesting place. This is what I love about the sovereignty of God. We can't understand the sovereignty of God, God's timing, how He works everything out. But here's what I've titled the the message. The Christian's response to persecution. 
The Christian's response, another way maybe to say it is this, the Christian's response to turmoil, but persecution is a very personal thing. It's happening to you, but it, the same thing could be said as this. When we, when we are, this, this, this world is not our home. We know that, right? This, this is not our home. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are aliens. We are strangers in this world, or we ought to be strangers in this world. This is not our home. We have a home in heaven. We are just passers-by. So how do we navigate? What is our response? How do we respond? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We find how Christians responded to persecution in this first century church in Acts chapter 11. Let me first, because sometimes persecution can be this thing we just assume everybody understands the word. Let me, let me define persecution by using Scripture Persecution, we can see it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus promises us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, it says this, You will be hated by everyone because of my name. This is what Jesus is telling the apostles. Ultimately, he's telling us through his, his word, You will be hated by everyone, everyone being those who aren't believers in me. You'll be hated by everyone because of me because of being a christian because of his name you will be hated john chapter 15 verse 18 says this if the world hates you understand that it hated me before it hated you here's jesus again just saying to us listen here's you need to get this in the right perspective don't 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 let the hatred of unbelievers don't let the hatred of a lost culture set you back on your heels don't be troubled when trouble happens because listen, you will be, as a Christian, you will be hated because of me, Jesus says. You will be hated and don't, don't fret. Listen, it hated me way before it ever hated you. So the definition, just really simple, is this. Christian persecution is being hated in one form or another because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and listen, that, that, can, that can find itself working its way out in family, in, 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 in close Immediate family situations because of your faith in Christ. It can, it can work its way out in, in, in your financial dealings with, uh, with customers, your financial dealings with, uh, with, with neighbors or, or whoever you are having financial situations or ha- having um, transactions with. It can, it can work its way out through that. It can work its way out through just relationships. It can work its way out through, through friendships. Because of our faith in Christ, we can be hated. Listen, it can happen within the church. We know that not everybody that claims to be a Christian, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 tells us this, not everybody who claims to know the Lord knows the Lord. And so persecution can come at, in, 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 in all different forms from all different places. And what is our response? How do we respond to Persecution, how do we respond to turmoil? Listen, persecution hasn't been unusual in the history of the church. And persecution will not be unusual in the future of the church. John Stott, a highly respected theologian, uh, makes this statement in regards to uh, persecution. And I believe this statement gives believers great hope 
uh, in the midst of persecution. Listen to what he says. Indeed, throughout church history, the pendulum has swung between expansion and opposition, growth and shrinkage, advance and retreat. Although the assurance that even the powers of death and hell will never prevail against Christ's church since it's built securely on the rock. So we see this pendulum going back and forth of seasons of, 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 of great things, seasons of tons of persecution, seasons of when we are accepted in the culture and seasons where we are hated in the culture. And I believe that we are entering into a time where we are hated and will be more and more and more. And it will only be by God's grace if by lack of revival or or if by a revival that we will ever find joy in the culture around us, even though that should never be our aim. Listen, we can relate to the story. In Acts chapter 12, we're just going to get through the first five verses this morning, but the entire story goes through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to pick it back up next week. But I just want to, I want to just start in the first five verses this morning. Listen, kingdom advancement, this is what we're talking about. The, 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 the expansion of the church, the advancement of the gospel, it, it comes with a great cost. And I believe this is why this story is here. I mean, it's, it's, we've, we've seen, we've seen the, the birth of the church. We've seen the church being, being sent out after the, the stoning of, of Stephen. And we see this, this incredible growth through the Gentiles and the, and the Samaritans. And now we find ourselves back in Jerusalem with the original church. Why, why, would, why would God bring us back to this? Well, I believe it's to help us with this response to persecution, to see that advancement of the gospel. And this is what we are called to do as Christians, to advance the gospel through our lives, through our words, through our actions, to advance the gospel. So let's, let's look at it. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Now let me, let, me, um, let me explain just for a moment who this King Herod is. He comes from a long line of evil King Herods. His family is just an evil family, has been from, I suppose, from the very beginning. Evil people, the first King Herod, King Herod the Great, Herod the Great was, uh, was the one who tried to, uh, uh, to have Jesus, little baby Jesus killed when, when he heard about the king uh, of the Jews being born. Um, the Herod in our text is the nephew of, uh, of the King Herod who had um, John the Baptist beheaded. Um, he's an evil, evil dude who wants to wipe out anyone who might, uh, might be trying to uh, win over favor of the masses. This is what we have. At that time, King Herod, Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. This is, this is right after. If you remember last week, they're, they're taking up the offering because of this, this prophesied famine that's going to happen. And 
And as they are taking up this offering, this persecution, this extreme persecution, wells back up in this original, the the mother church, if you will. Verse 2 says this, And he executed James, John's brother, with a sword. More than likely, we don't know exactly, but more than likely that means he was beheaded. This is James. This is the apostle James. This is the first apostle who has been martyred. We see Stephen, the first Christian who is martyred. But this is, this is one of Jesus' chosen twelve. James. This is, this is James, the one who is in the, um, uh, one of the best friends of Jesus, if you will. If you, when you read in the Scriptures and you're reading about the, the twelve apostles, it's always Peter, James, and, and John. This is, this is that James. This isn't the, the brother of Jesus. This isn't the one who wrote the book of James. This is the Apostle James. And Herod is, is, is breathing out these violent threats. Not, not like Saul. He is, he is doing extreme, extreme persecution against the church. In verse 3, this is interesting. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, when he saw that, that, that killing the apostle pleased the Jews, the, the enemies of Christ. It, it's, almost like, it's almost like he was testing the waters. Have you, haven't you seen that in our culture today? That, that those who, who hate what is right, it's like they just test the waters. And if that... If that draws a crowd, then they, then they go a little bit farther. And if that draws a larger crowd and more, more uh, popularity, then they go a little bit farther. Just look over the history of time. This is what's going on. It's, it's, he's, he's put James to death. Verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. This is another apostle. Peter, James, and John. This is the, the, the core. I mean, can you, can you imagine what, what Herod is thinking? He's like, man, if I can take out the top three of Jesus' apostles, man, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to put an end to this, thing called, to this thing called Christianity. It's gone too far. It's, it's already gone down into Samaria. It's, 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 just, it's moving all throughout the known world. So we're going to take out these top three. So he puts Peter, he arrests Peter, and he arrests him during what's called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. This is a week-long celebration that, um, that the laws of the time, the, the Jews had a law that, that during this feast, during this week-long uh, festival, and which is an ironic festival to be happening at this time, and I'll explain that here in just a moment, but during this festival, they, uh, they, they could not hold any court. There, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't take anyone to court. No, no proceedings. So he, he takes Peter and he puts him in jail with the intent of taking him out at the end of the feast of bread or what would be known as the Passover and have him killed. Look at this, verse 4. Verse 4, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. Now, if my math is correct, that's 16 people. 16 guards to watch and to guard one man. Herod is fearful. 
each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. The Passover is the is the end of the feast of the unleavened bread or feast of the unleavened bread. It is the um, uh, it's the culmination. It is the the main event, if you will. So after the Passover, this is the end of the week. Then he's going to bring him out to the people. Ultimately, he's more than likely going to have him killed. Verse five. But look at what happens. So Peter was kept in prison, but, but, watch what happens. The church was praying fervently to God for him. The church was praying fervently to God for him. The believers, these, uh, the, these that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, they have, they have seen the, uh, the death of James and now they have heard about the arrest of Peter and they know that what is going to take place is that Peter is going to be killed and so they fervently pray and they cry out to God. This is the church's response. Was to pray. Fervently. But put yourself in their shoes for a moment. This is the number two guy, or the number one guy. This is Peter, Jesus, and then and Peter. This is the this is the number one apostle. And they pray fervently. How how can they pray at such a time as this? Can you imagine all the work that needs to be done? Can you imagine everything that, I mean, you have, I mean, we, you, you've killed James and now you're, now you're going to kill Peter. We, we don't need to be praying right now. We need to be doing whatever we can to stop the death of Peter. That would be our pragmatic side, right? We don't have time to pray at such a time as this. We need to be stopping this. The church's response is the right response. It should be our response. And that is to pray fervently. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes that isn't our first response. Oftentimes that isn't our response. It's the, it's the more pragmatic side. Man, I need, to, I need to do something. I can't just pause and retreat and, 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 and pray. But the church here does the right thing. Here's what we have to, I believe what we have to do. We, the, 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 the paradigm shift has to be, we have to get our mind wrapped around the idea. This is point number one of the message. That opposition is inevitable. How, how do we respond to persecution? Well, opposition is inevitable. And in other words, it's, I want you to see this. It's not that... It's not that Trouble happens. We know that trouble is going to happen. Jesus says we will be hated. He tells us twice that. We know that persecution is going to happen. The trouble is when we're troubled by that. So the paradigm shift that we have to make is this, that opposition is inevitable. Opposition is inevitable within my family. Opposition is inevitable with my job. Opposition is inevitable sometimes, unfortunately, within the church. Opposition is inevitable within my relationships. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ who recognizes this is not my home, I'm just traveler going through opposition is inevitable listen the bible gives accounts of battles within the war 
All throughout Scripture we see the war is this war between right and wrong, between the, the saving of lost souls, that there are souls who are breathing at this very moment. Without Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. That is just the truth, and that is the war. It is the battle for the soul. Satan wants nothing more than to trick them that they are saved, that there is no God, or, or just something that they don't even think about eternity. That's the war. But within the war, there are battles. We, we see this all throughout Scripture. Various people lead assaults on God's people using various means of warfare. Pick your, pick your tyrant. We see Satan at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, uh, with, with Adam and Eve, uh, tricking them. We see Pharaoh to the nation of Israel. Jezebel to Elijah, Nebuchadnezzar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny. Any? Some aging myself there, right? Herod to baby Jesus. Or the Aka Indians to the five missionaries killed in 1956. Or to ISIS to the 21 Coptic Christians in Libya in 2015 who were beheaded. And the list could go on and on and on and on and on of these battles within this great war. God's people have always faced persecution. Just in the 11 chapters of this book that we've been studying, we, we, have, we see this, this opposition in the form of threats, intimidation, uh, physical beatings, and stoning. Listen, we, we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes as we advance the gospel. We should be surprised when it doesn't come. Let me say that again. As we live on mission, as we as a church advance the gospel, as we as individual Christians advance the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised when opposition doesn't come or when opposition comes. We shouldn't be surprised at that. What should surprise us is when opposition doesn't come. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, He says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. That's the key. In Christ, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Listen, Jesus is honest here. He tells us the honest truth. That we're going to have trouble. That... You will be hated, but they hated me before they ever hated you. So he's, he's, he's honest with us. He tells us up front so that, so that we're not troubled when trouble comes. But <clears throat> he also reminded us of the great news. He tells us the honest truth, but he also reminds us of this great news. Jesus crushes the head of Satan. And that is the great news. He triumphed over death as He walks out of the tomb. 
He ascended into heaven where He rules and reigns over all. And soon, Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. That is the great news. We have a Savior who is completely in control. And there is great cost. He tells us, as we advance the gospel, there is a great cost. And it's troubling when that troubles Christians. And the paradigm shift we have to take, we have to have, is that opposition is inevitable. So in light of the bigger story, we can live out our little stories, if you will, in faith. We can live out our little stories in hope, in that confident assurance that God is who He said He is, knowing this, that the King will win. That's what we see in the last chapter, the last book of the Bible. He wins. He is totally, 100% in control. Listen, whatever God allows us, whatever God permits us to experience, here's my prayer for me and for you as well, that our primary concern, whatever God allows us to experience, whatever God allows us to, permits us to go through, that we would be obedient. That's it. Opposition is inevitable. Here's the good news. We don't enter into our, we don't don't go through this life as victims. We go through this life as victors. I just just pray that as as you you hear this, that there. There's a cost to the advancement of the gospel. We are victors as children of God. Our King rules and He reigns. And so, first paradigm shift is this, opposition is inevitable. And the second is this, that prayer is effectual. This is point number two, prayer is effectual. Look, look at verse 5 again. So Peter is kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. They were praying fervently for him. Prayer is effectual. Why, Why not take up arms? Why not protest? And there's a time for that. I believe there's a time for force. There's a time for, for outcry. There's appropriate times for that. But listen, prayer is always the best first response. Always the best first response. And here's the problem with that. Here's Christians have become followers of Christ and and there's just been an assumption that if you pray to receive Christ, you know how to pray. There's very little teaching on prayer. I'd be interested to know from from you. Maybe you can email me or text me this week. Have you have you ever been through a study on prayer? How to pray? Have you ever read a book on prayer? Most Christians have not. Most Christians, we've just assumed people know how to pray. 
Here's a real quick. Let me just give you this. Is if 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 you've never been taught this, I'm just going to run through it really quick. Maybe we can come back and visit it at another time. But here's a really good way. It's it's using the acronym ACTS. We're in the book of Acts. This is, will be easy for you to remember. ACTS. Acknowledge the first part of your prayer. Acknowledge God for who He is. Give Him praise. Think as you're reading through scriptures. This is what I do. As I'm reading through scripture, I have a highlighter. It's a blue high pencil, map pencil. I use it for the character of God, because if I'm not careful, I can go, "Oh God, you're loving, you're good, you're graceful, you're merciful," and I, forget, I can't think of anything else. So I have to go through scripture, and I'm just reading through scripture really quickly. I'm just thumbing through it. Oh God, you are my refuge. You are my hiding place. I can go through and you can, you can acknowledge God for who He is. Second is confess. Confess your sins. The first part of your prayer is acknowledging Him for who He is. Second part is confessing your sins. Confessing those that you know that you have done. And confessing those that you're not, you're not sure. You're, 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 maybe you just unintentionally sinned. Thanksgiving. Give Him thanks. Give him thanks for, 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 this is what Chelsea was leading us in earlier. Where'd you go, Chelsea? There you go. This is what Chelsea was leading us in, just, just to praise God, to, uh, to, to, to cry out in, in, in moments of praise what God has done for us this week. So there's a lot that we can be thankful for. S, A-C-T-S, supplication. This is oftentimes where we start in prayer, but I'm encouraging you to make it the last part of your prayer, asking God for help. God, I, I need strength. I need whatever. You fill in the blank. Supply my needs. A-C-T-S. Let me give you a couple of recommendations of some books if you want to write these down. Uh, Bill Hybels, although I wouldn't recommend anything he's written in the last five or ten years, but this book is gold. It's called Too Busy Not to Pray. This is where a lot of us is, and I think this is where most of our minds are at when we go through persecution or we go through, through difficult times. It's like, man, I'm too busy. Not, or I'm too busy. I don't have time to pray. There's too much at stake here. I don't, have time to, uh, I don't have time to pray. I need to pray. Bill Hybels wrote this incredible book called Too Busy Not to Pray. It's a good book. Steve Gaines wrote a book called Pray Like It Matters. Ronnie Floyd wrote a book, which I'm going back through. I believe I've read it a few times. But I'm just going back through it. It's called The Power of Prayer and Fasting. It's a great book. The Power of Prayer and Fasting. But let me tell you what the, the best book on prayer is. It's right here. It's the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the greatest book, I believe, that you can read on prayer. It, it has every emotion that you can imagine. And it prays through it. Scripture prays through it. Prayer is always the first and best response. Listen, prayer is a Christian's powerful weapon. And, and, and sometimes I think we, we believe it's passive. Well, it's just, that's, man, I, I need to do something. Especially us men. Man, we, we think we got, man, we got we to do something. We got to fix it. And so prayer, we sometimes just say that it's passive or we think that it's just retreating because, man, I, I need to fix this. I need to, I need to get this done. Prayer isn't retreating. And listen, prayer isn't our last option. You'll hear this. Well, I guess all I can do is pray now. No, no, no. Listen, prayer isn't our last option. The believers in this passage essentially go to war with prayer. 
That's what we see in verse 5. Look at it again. The church was praying fervently. Uh, some, some, some translations use, use the word earnestly. This literally means, this word fervently or earnestly literally means stretched out. It can mean one of two things, or actually it can mean, can mean both. It can be stretched out in time. And so the church was, was over, over a course of time, they were, they were praying. And, and if you keep on reading through the text in and, and, um, verse 12, Looks like they were praying all night long, and so they were stretched out in time. But, but it's also arms and, and hands stretched out, earnest, fervent prayer, crying out to God, prostrate on the ground, crying out passionately, crying out to God. That's what we see the church doing. They, they are going to war through prayer. That's their first response, and it is the best response. The band uh, Rend Collective, they sing a, a real catchy victory song, if you will, called More Than Conquerors. It comes from, from Romans chapter 8. Listen, listen, to, the, listen to, their, to the chorus of their song. We are more than conquerors through Christ. It's this declaration. We're, we're more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. We are defiant in your... We're not going to bow down to sin or shame. We are defiant in your name. I believe it's in that hope. That spirit that the church is praying here. Listen, prayer isn't passive. Prayer isn't a retreat. I'm just going to... Just, I'm just going to go away and pray. No, no, listen... It's not, it's, not, it's not retreating from the problem. James chapter 5, 5, verse 16 is actually, it is going towards the problem. Listen to what it says. Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, <clears throat> watch this, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Oh no, it's not, it's not, it's not a retreat. It is active. It is going towards and it is fighting for what God has for us. And listen, prayer isn't, prayer is definitely not our last option. Prayer is an act of holy defiance. It is defiant. Man, I, I, there is so much temptation coming at me. We can, we can say that. There's just so much temptation. There's just, I have so much anger. I have so much fear. I have so much whatever. And prayer is active defiance saying this, I will not be ruled by that fear. I will not be ruled by that temptation. I will not be ruled by that anxiety. I will not be ruled by you fill in the blank. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to fervently stretched out over time or, or physically stretched out prostrate. It's holy defiance. It's an act of placing dependent confidence in the sovereign God who hears our prayers and who has invited us to come into His presence and lay out our requests. I like the way John Piper says it this. John Piper calls prayer a wartime walkie-talkie. <laughs> 
Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. He's in, in, in reference to, to Acts chapter 12. He says the church is at war. So they call up the commander who shuts the, the lion's mouths, who humiliates Pharaoh's, who breaks chains, and he opens prison doors. Listen, we cry out to God in prayer. Knowing this, that He will act in whatever way He knows best. Let me say that again. We cry out to God knowing that He will act in whatever way that He knows best. Oh, listen, may we learn. May we learn from the church in Jerusalem. The kingdom of darkness uses weapons, physical weapons. But the church uses the weapon of prayer. Maybe, maybe we can turn off the news. I'm not saying be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but maybe we can turn it off a little more. Maybe we can log out of social media sites. Maybe we can turn off Netflix in May for the remainder of the days that God has us on earth. May we individually and corporately wield this powerful weapon called prayer as long as God has us here on this earth. May the remainder of our days, may we wield it more than we ever have in the past. I want you to notice something. Because this, I believe, is a place where we struggle in prayer. James is killed. And there's no doubt the church is praying for him as well. And Peter lives. James' brother, John, lives to a ripe old age. James is killed and Peter lives. And here's what I want you to hear. God uses them both for the advancement of the gospel. Scripture tells us that. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you brought your Bible, you get to read it out of your own Bible. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Look at what it says. But the Word of God flourished and multiplied. Wait a minute, James, James died, the, uh, the loved apostle of Jesus, he died, and, and Peter lived. And you know that they were praying for both. Here's the deal, God uses both. And may we not quit praying, may we not lose hope in prayer when our prayer is not answered the way we want it to be answered. <clears throat> may we know that God will use our situations, our persecution for the advancement of the gospel. Persecution is a reality for those who live on mission, but it will not stop the advancement of the gospel. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.